Welcome to On the Middle East, Almanita's weekly podcast on the big developments in the region. My name is Ambrin Zaman, and this week I'll be discussing the forthcoming elections in Turkey with The Economist's Turkey correspondent, Piotr Zawewski. Piotr is the author of a special survey published by The Economist last week. It caused quite a commotion due to its cover, which appeared with the title Turkey's looming dictatorship. Senior Turkish officials were not amused. They took turns to blast the publication, accusing it of intellectual sloth and indulging in marketing gimmicks. But few can deny the substance is fair and that the analysis is sharp. The report covers a broad range of issues from Turkey's ailing economy to Ankara's combative foreign policy. Despite Turkey's descent into authoritarianism, Piotr does not rule out an opposition victory, though the chances are admittedly slim. So, Piotr, welcome to our program. It's so great to have you with us here today, particularly given how tired you are after your grueling trip to Ukraine. So, thank you. Thanks, Amber. It's a pleasure. So you've just uh, published this amazing report on Turkey. And uh, obviously, you're kind of in the hot seat right now, because quite predictably, the Turkish government was not terribly happy uh, with uh, the title, uh, Turkey's looming dictatorship. Um, So, Piotr, The reason you were prompted to do this uh, report presumably was because of this looming election. Uh, Why do these elections matter so much? Uh, You know, I think we've probably heard um, over the past 10 years that every next election in Turkey is the most important election in Turkish history. And so it's no surprise that these have acquired the label. But I think, you know, the, the, the label is quite merited. I mean, I guess first you have um, the symbolism of, of it all. Um, it is the uh, centenary of the founding of the Republic. It's, a, it's an election that will decide the political fate of uh, President Erdogan. He has suggested it um, you know, might be the last election um, in which he runs. The obviously at stake is not only his political career, but also the direction of Turkish foreign policy, Um, the direction of Turkish economic policy and um, the entire system um, over which he presides, Uh, you know, his idea um, of a new Turkey, his executive presidency, all of that is, is on the line. With the system so tightly rigged in favor of President Erdogan and his Justice and Development Party, is there any chance that the opposition can actually win? Yeah, I mean, I guess this is one of the you know paradoxes of, of, of um, Turkey, in that uh, it's too often dismissed as um, a dictatorship, um, and you know it's it's not. Uh, it's you have academics will use the label um, competitive authoritarianism, um, but what. Um, I think that speaks to is the notion that, uh, you know, obviously Erdogan runs the show. 
Um, this is one man rule, but um, he's uh, still having to face the electorate every five years. And elections are, um, while blatantly um, unfair, uh, competitive. Um, and that's why, you know, it's, it's hard to predict, especially this time around, um, the result of, of this election, um, where at least, you know, uh, judging by the polls, um, Erdogan has his back against the wall. For him, it looks to be the toughest election that he has faced. Uh, I think you might recall, you know, in the report I quoted, um, Berk Essen, an academic here in Istanbul, um, and he compares elections in Turkey to a football match, a soccer match, where, you know, one side has 11 players and the other side has seven. Um, that's that's a pretty, you know, um, accurate uh, way of putting it. I'd say maybe it's 11 to, to eight or 11 to nine. Um, and this time around, it seems that um, even before uh, the matches started, you know, the referee um, has uh, given one of the opposition's um, star players a red card for calling him an idiot. You know, the, the playing field is badly tilted. You have um, a government, you have a president um, uh, who controls directly and indirectly, you know, let's say 90% of the media, the media who effectively, that effectively cannot hold um, the government, especially the president, to account, um, which is uh, essentially what the media is, is, is expected to do in a democracy. Um, and you have the institutions, which for the most part, you know, um, function at the government's behest. Um, and among these um, is the central bank, which has effectively turned into something like a government agency. Um, and this isn't about, you know, uh, monetary policy per se. Um, just to give you an idea of uh, how this affects the landscape ahead of elections, you know, I mean, if you could argue that if Turkey right now were to have an independent, uh, a truly independent central bank, the economy would be in recession, right? And um, that obviously would have a huge impact on the the outcome of the elections, on the um, run-up to the elections. There's still reason to suspect that the opposition might win. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's always um, something of a surprise to me to, 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 to hear the debate uh, in Turkey, to compare the debate in Turkey with the debate um, abroad. So, you know, the consensus uh, abroad, I think, you know, among um, analysts and, and, and uh, perhaps political class is that Erdogan uh, will win the elections because losing is not an option and that he will do whatever it takes. Um, and there's no shortage of things he, he can do to ensure that he wins. Um, Meanwhile, in Turkey, you know, th those fears are, are here. Th those fears are very much present in the Turkish discourse. But I mean, as you as you know, you know, um, Turks, for the most part, um, have uh, tremendous faith in the electoral process. Um, and so 
you'll ask, you know, the average uh, Turkish voter, even opposition voter about the elections. And they'll say, you know, the, the outcome is certainly not a foregone conclusion. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned the turnout in Turkish elections over the past well, five, 10 years. And turnout has been um, in, in the 80s, in the high 80s occasionally. And that speaks to the idea that, you know, people do believe that their vote counts. Um, and generally, I think opposition voters in Turkey are more worried about um, the coming three, three and a half months than they are about the conduct of the elections themselves. Um, because um, I have a bit of a paradox, right? That, that on the one hand, um, the accepted faith, the accepted wisdom is that Erdogan uh, cannot afford to lose an election. Whereas Turks, you know, at least opposition Turks, um, will tell you that he does not have the luxury of rigging one either. So um, the opposition expects an unfair fight, but I think come election day, um, they believe that um, they have a chance. You mentioned one of the star players um, about to be disqualified, and you were referring obviously, to Ekrem Imamoglu, the Istanbul mayor, who delivered Erdogan his first ever defeat by winning Istanbul and resoundingly in, in, in the redo. Um, it, it seems increasingly likely, though, that it won't be him and rather will be Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu, the CHP leader, the main opposition party leader, who you as described in your uh, report, doesn't hold a candle to Erdogan when it comes to, you know, his ability to appeal to the masses to campaign. We've also seen more recently that uh, Erdogan's numbers are creeping up again. Do you still say the opposition has a chance of winning? For an opposition that wants to dismantle the presidential system and that wants to return to a ceremonial presidency, he's the ideal president. But at the same time, um, he is the worst candidate, right? Best president, but the worst candidate for president. That's really um, well put, um, Piotr. And of course, in all of this, the Kurds are poised to play a, a quite significant role, as they already did in the municipal elections. And of course, one of the biggest problems plaguing this uh, opposition, this so-called table of six opposition parties, is the fact that they're so polarized, divide, uh, divided on the issue of the Kurds with Mera Lakshiner, the uh, right-wing nationalist leader, saying she basically doesn't want to have anything to do with them. I mean, do you believe that there's a chance that to secure his, to sort of clinch his success, that Erdogan could yet make a turn towards the Kurds? I haven't seen really much evidence of Erdogan, you know, putting out feelers to um, Kurdish voters. I mean, I guess he he, he was in Diyarbakir. Um, our party met with um, HDP, um, I think, to discuss the headscarf issue, um, if, if, if I recall correctly. But I think there's practically no chance that um, he will be you know, able to successfully reach out to Kurdish voters. It would be too little too late. I tend to think that Erdogan will prevail. What kind of Turkey will we wake up to? And first of all, the economy, because I mean, everyone's been predicting a crash and it's just not happened. Somehow 
the economy seems to sort of tick along, whether it's through mass invasion, influxes of funds from the Gulf, Russia selling cheap energy, whatever it is, somehow, you know, it, it sort of stand, still stands. Uh, that's my first question, you know, and the second one would be about uh, foreign policy, because Turkey is clearly butting heads more and more uh, with its Western partners. And this is playing out in particular over NATO and, I mean, sorry, over Finland and Sweden's application for membership for NATO. Do you think that's more of an electoral gambit or will that trend persist? One of, you know, Turkey becoming increasingly sort of irredentist and going its own way. You know, I figure maybe there's a way to, um tie those two questions together that, you know um how, how sustainable is turkey's economic policy and how sustainable is uh turkey's foreign policy um so you know when we look at the opposition um you know their uh remedy for uh, the turkish economy is, is is quite clear um uh, which is to um tackle inflation head-on restore the central bank's independence um that would obviously mean uh increasing substantially um gradually interest rates um you know cleaning up the institutions um rebuilding not only the central bank's uh reputation but also its uh foreign currency reserves less predictable is what the turkish economy might look like if Erdogan, um, you know, is reelected because you know people. I mean, we we've seen this before, right? I mean, you know, he 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 will push for growth, um, lower interest rates, um, even in the face of uh, increasing inflation and in face of uh, a, a weakening uh, lira, and then um, allow the central bank to to hit the brakes and to hike interest rates. Uh, he's done that before. And I feel like, especially in the West, there's this assumption that, um, well, he's, he's probably going to have to do the same um, after the elections. Uh, here, um, I mean, there isn't so much a consensus in the issue, but there's a bigger concern that, you know, this um, rather zany economic policy is here to stay. Is that um, sustainable? I mean, is that sustainable? Will no, that it's not. It's not. I mean, it's... <laughs> Will it stabilize the lira? Won't Turkish people grow even poorer? And isn't that inherently destabilizing? And isn't his likely response to be more repression? There's going to be a reckoning whoever um, comes out on top, right? Uh, it, it's just going to be a different reckoning um, for the opposition um, and a different reckoning for, for Erdogan. Um, now, you know, he's been able to, this government has been able to, at least by, by, by recent standards, stabilized the lira in the past half year. Um, uh, the, the lira continues to weaken, but that you know, weakening is no longer um, uh, vertical as it, as it, as it was um, uh, at least at the end of um, uh, 2021. And he's been able to do so, um, A, by way of his banking regulations by effectively you know, rationing um, credit, um, 
which uh, is, is, is also a major concern um, for the opposition uh, and honestly for, you know, the, the health of the Turkish economy and for corruption, because, you know, you've got a system where, um, you know, money is effectively handed out for free. <laughs> uh, you've got, you know, um, a benchmark interest rate at 9%. Inflation at sixty-five percent, and those you know loans handed out at I don't know, let's say around twenty percent. So, um, if you're a loss-making company, but you manage to get a loan from a Turkish bank, well, at the end of the year, you're still actually turning a profit uh, simply because um, of, of the kind of advantages that loan confers on you. Um, and so there's, you know, concern that um, credit is being channeled to not only certain um, sectors of the economy or certain companies, SMEs and exporters in, in particular, but um, to companies that are close to government. And as you pointed out, you know, m money coming in um, from uh, UAE, from Qatar, from Russia um, is also has been helping uh, keep the, the lira afloat. Um, but you know, that money is not endless. And I think, you know, that money, um, is, is arriving in, in Turkey, um, and it's helping sustain, it's helping Erdogan offset, um, potential damage to, to Lira and helping him through to elections. Um, I don't imagine it's going to be readily, readily available after the elections. Um, at which point, you know, one of two things will have to happen, uh, a is you know a return to orthodoxy, and that's the scenario we're talking about. And B is um, a major correction in the exchange rate, which means another possibly massive um, devaluation of the lira, um, yet more inflation because that would be its inevitable outcome, um, and yet more um, damage to um, uh, purchasing power of terms. Right? I mean. We've already seen um, part of the, the middle class you know, disappear over the past um, two or three years, largely as a result of inflation, you know, as a result of these policies. Um, you know, chances are that uh, this is something that will continue and might even um, accelerate uh, in, in case, especially in case uh, of an Erdogan victory. You know, the question of sustainability, because you asked, you know, um, if if um, this business with um, Finland and Sweden, um, if, if if this is um, something that um, uh, will go away after the elections, um, and if you know something approaching a return to orthodoxy in foreign policy um, might be imminent um, if Erdogan wins. Um, I don't see that happening. I mean, as far as, you know, Finland and, and Sweden, that's um, a, a symptom of um, the, the sort of fundamental shift in foreign policy rather than its cause. It's, it's very difficult to, to, to understand what exactly Turkey is driving it, right? Because, you know, the, the goalposts keep on moving, seemingly. At first, Erdogan came up with a list of, I don't remember exact number, 79, was it? You know, um, like that. suspected and terrorists. Keeps going um, up, the number keeps Right, going and up. I think now, you know, we've reached uh, 130 something. Yeah, exactly, right. So, um, 
all of this, you know, the first figure was was a huge shock to the Swedes. The second figure, I imagine, was an even bigger shock. Um, and now, given the outcry, um, you know, over uh, the Quran uh, burning incident in, in Sweden, um, I think a lot of people might start asking, you know, does, does Turkey, is, is Turkey even serious about accepting um, Sweden and, and NATO into, into uh, sorry, is, is Turkey even serious about accepting Sweden and Finland into NATO? And, um, you know, to, to report, well, for, for this report, and, and but also you know, for, for, for previous reporting I've done, I remember talking to, you know, some um, of Erdogan's uh, advisors and, and people, the MFA, right? So the MFA's line is that um, uh, where uh, Finland and um, Sweden uh, to comply with Turkish demands, obviously the onus is more on, on Sweden than Finland, then you know, Turkey would happily welcome um, Sweden and Finland into NATO because Turkey recognizes um, the value, uh, the strategic value of having you know, um, Nordics in NATO. Um, you know, the, the line um, I got on a number of occasions while speaking with you know, um, people in the palace is that um, we're not terribly interested in NATO enlargement, or at least we're not terribly interested in NATO enlargement in Finland and Sweden. Um, and it's as if, and, and, you know, the question I asked was, well, you know, what about, you know, um, do you see the advantages of, of Turkish, oh, sorry, of, of Finnish or Swedish membership in NATO, even with you know um, this uh, alleged terrorist issue out of the way? Um, and I didn't really get you know a very convincing answer. Um, so what's and, that all about then? I mean, well, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, this you know. Um, First of all, this 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 came out of nowhere where when it happened, right? I mean, you know, I think even people in the MFA were surprised um, with how um, the veto first came about. I mean, there were concerns about you know of, uh, PKK running wild in, in Sweden for for years now, right? Those concerns were, were shared by the MFA and, and and other people in Turkey, but I don't think there was much of an expectation that you know. Um, uh, that Turkey, that everyone would veto um, their potential accession to NATO over this. Um, I think the understanding was that this was something that you know would be sorted out in bilateral meetings, um, and so that you know <laughs> people were talking about the shock to the Finns and Swedes when this um, all went down. I think you know uh, some people in the Turkish MFA were equally. Um, uh, or almost equally shocked. So is uh, this about Putin? Is this about Erdogan and Putin and Erdogan, <laughs> you know, doing favors to Putin, uh, believing that I mean, his interests lie more there than with the West and that he can keep playing this sort of balancing act that he's got I mean, we're, we're, with so far, admittedly? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, we're, we're, we're hypothesis. sorry, we're, uh, we're, 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 we're um, we're speculating, but uh, why not? Um, because that's all we're left with at this point. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't imagine that um, you know, Russia is behind this, right? That uh, Putin um, called in a favor with, with Erdogan. 
Um, but, you know, you remember when um, the issue first came up, you know, um, a, a lot of folks thought that um, this was not about Turkey, Sweden, and Finland. This was more about Turkey and the U.S. And it was more about, you know, um, the S-400 issue, F-35s, F-16s, um, and that Turkey was trying to squeeze concessions out of um, Biden administration and Congress. Um, look, it could just as well be that, you know, um, Turkey is holding this sort of um, ace in its hand um, and, you know, making implicit or not sort of an offer to Russia. <laughs> you know, what could you give us um, in exchange for this? Um, you know, I, I don't know if this conversation is being had at the policy level, but, um, you know, there's two people that um, this impasse favors, right? Um, they pass over Sweden, uh, Finland, and NATO. One is Erdogan because it favors him domestically, um, and the other is Putin um, for you know reasons we don't have to spell out. Um, is there an understanding there? I don't know, but there's certainly you know room for one. Um, uh, could this be part of you know uh, a larger tit for tat? Um, you know, where Syria, reconciliation with Syria, uh, a potential Turkish offensive um, uh, against the YPG is um, in the picture or in the mix? Possibly. I mean, it's happened before. But, you know, the, the Turkey-Russia relationship is so multifaceted, so multilayered. There's so many opportunities, you know, um, for uh, for barter. Um that you could very well imagine this is, you know, part of the picture. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it's, uh, it's it's quite indecipherable at this point. Well, you just got back from Ukraine. How do things look from Ukraine? I mean, for the Ukrainians, it must be a rather sort of not ideal situation that Turkey is sort of catering to Russia all the while, you know, claiming to be Ukraine's big friend. How much does Turkey matter? I mean, obviously, for just looking at the map, we know why it matters to Ukraine. But is the, Turkey's military support still very significant? Um, it's much less visible and it's much less significant. Um, and, um, you know, I think... Uh, look, I mean, the, 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 the Turkish drones, the Bayraktars, did... Uh, contribute heavily to to Kiev's um, defense, and I think Ukrainians um, are incredibly grateful for um, the supply for the sale of um, uh, the TB2s. Um, they're obviously um, grateful to Turkey for um, the closure of the straits to Russian uh, warships. Um, but they're also, you know, quite uneasy. Um, there, I think, um, interestingly, they're, they're more uneasy in private than they are in public. Um, in public, you know, Zelensky has um, a habit of um, upbraiding, you know, Western leaders. Um, you know, he's criticized uh, obviously the, the Germans in the past, um, the Hungarians, um, you know, even the Poles, <laughs> uh, I think, you know, came under criticism um, 
um, when they came up with uh, some sort of harebrained um, idea near the start of the war. Um, and we haven't heard any of that criticism um, from Zelensky toward Turkey. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm made to understand that the reason um, uh, for this is that, um, you know, you can go over Macron's hat. Head. You can go over, you know, Schultz's head. You can appeal to public opinion in France. Um, you can appeal to public opinion in Poland, um, uh, and you can appeal to public opinion in Germany to put pressure on their leaders. You can't quite do that with Turkey. Um, well, first of all, because public opinion in Turkey is quite divided uh, when it comes to the war, um, and second. Um, well, because, you know, Turkey, their politics in Turkey works quite differently. And Erdogan is a much more unpredictable interlocutor than someone like Macron and that's a, someone like Schultz. So in a way, um, you know, the Ukrainians are left uh, expressing, you know, um, platitudes uh, and, and then thanking um, uh Turkey publicly for its support, and I think that thanks that that you know gratitude is certainly genuine, um, but there's certainly a lot of criticism. Well, look, Piotr, it was really great speaking to you, and I hope we'll have more opportunities in the future. Well, and thanks for having me, and really appreciate it, Amberi. And this brings us to the end of this week's on the Middle East. Do try and get a copy of the Economist special survey on Turkey. It's well worth a read. Hoping to catch up with you next week. Till then, thank you and goodbye.